This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, brought to you by Go Live Festival. I'm Ian Turner and my guest this week is Stephen Turner, Vice President of Audio Science, a US-based company that got its start providing sound cards to the broadcast industry, but is now working with the Dante AV over IP standard for installed sound solutions. But what part does New Zealand play in Stephen's upbringing and how did he get his start in the audio engineering business? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Stephen Turner on Plains FM 96.9. Stephen, when was the first time that you realised you had an affinity for engineering in whatever way, shape or form that was? Well, the, probably the very first time was when I almost electrocuted, well, I did electrocute myself, trying to make a soldering iron at the age of uh, seven. Make a soldering make iron? Make a soldering iron okay. out of an old uh, kettle jug element Okay, that I found in my, in my neighbor's backyard and banged and straightened out into like a soldering iron type shape and then proceeded to plug it into the, um, the outlet. So who who from the family was around at this point? Parents were both in the garden, as as most Kiwis are in the in the weekend. Yeah, it was a loud bang. I think some smoke, and mm. I actually went running outside like I was living. Clearly, yeah. But of course, they were pretty shocked. But like in those days, you know, they just sort of I think they they kind of put me to bed or something. There was no calling the ambulance or anything so what was the impetus what made you want to do this particular thing because i wanted a soldering iron like i think my grandfather my grandfather had one and i wanted one yeah and so let's just build it let's just make one is that what you've carried through with you throughout your life if i don't have it i'm just going to make it yeah to some degree but of course these days it's things are so complicated and as it's that's my profession hmm these sorts of complicated electronic pieces you just can't throw together with us even with a soldering iron mm. it's more about designing something mm. laying out circuit boards and getting circuit boards stuffed and built and testing them and iterating on that so what was your first sort of semi complex piece let's say so, as a teenager or something yeah, like that yeah so I got, when I was a, a teenager in um, high school, I, I got this book. It was How to Build Your Own Robot. And that was probably the thing that really got me into electronics. Because at, at that age, I was also into, um, I liked chemistry. I liked organic chemistry. And I liked things like lasers, because kids like lasers. I really, I really, really wanted to build a laser that could burn stuff. But try as, as, as I might, I never was able to construct such a thing. I got as far as trying to um, see what if I could order a ruby rod because you know, lasers have a, well, at least a certain type of laser has a mm. ruby, artificial ruby in it Yeah, that when excited with enough light will create the laser. Okay. Try and order one of those from the States, but it was hundreds of dollars and just wasn't going to happen. From memory, and I'm not sure at what point 
there was an R2-D2. Was this right, the right. build-your-own so, robot? So, right. So, I think I was about 15, I got this book, How to Build Your Own Robot. Kind of like this place. Um, my parents had a house in Avonhead, and the back of the garage had like a little annex. Like a, I think it was used maybe as a nursery mm. for garden plants and mm-hmm. stuff. Anyway, um, that got turned into my workshop. Yeah. Because they were sick of my bedroom of the desk being whittled away to nothing and sawdust and chemical spills all over the carpet. And they're like, okay, you're out there. You had a proper soldering iron by this point. This time I had a proper soldering iron. Yes, yes, yes. So I had this book, how to build a robot. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to build one. Actually made circuit boards Mm -hmm. in those days. Mm. Just to go into town. This was an electronic shop called Tricity House. And you could buy components and buy wires and this, that, and the other. And mm. using this book, I put it together. And at the same time, there was a it was a science fair, so that was my kind of goal was to make this robot for the science fair. Mm-hmm. Entered it into the science fair and got second place Fantastic. in the in the uh, I think it was applied science section or something. Mm. And it was called um, ST the robot E S T E E or something ST yeah. yeah. So what was the plan at that point in time? Was it always going to be, I'm heading off to university? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yep, yep. I was thinking about going to uh, to college, to uni, uni. Yep. Yeah. What was the dream after that as a as a teenager? What did you want to What did you want to be, or what did you want to do? You know, I, I didn't really know. Really, I didn't have this master plan for my life. Mm. It was kind of a mixture of things happen. And we'll choose a fork on the road when things happen. So mm-hmm. I, you know, at the end of high school, I, I decided I wanted to be an engineer. Canterbury was right there. Mm. My difficulty was deciding what kind of engineering to do. Okay. And I'd done this robot. So I was kind of into electronics, but I also like chemistry. And my best friend's uh, dad was a professor of the chem- chemical engineering department. So I was kind of like, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. In the end, um, electronics won out, and I pursued an uh, electrical and electronics degree mm. uh, at Canterbury. Where did that lead you immediately after university? Last, no, it was, yeah, last year of college, last year of university. And one of my friends, he'd gotten a student work visa for the States. We both liked skiing at the time. He'd gone to Aspen on the student work visa, New Zealand summer, American winter. Mm-hmm. So he was like, Steve, you got to do this. Washing dishes at night, skiing all day, yep. partying. Yep. You love it. Mm-hmm. But being an engineering student, you have to kind of do engineering stuff during your summer. Yep. So I'd had various jobs here. Mm-hmm. I'd worked at the Islington substation. Okay. Cleaning insulators. Wow. That was quite a job. It was yeah. A, it was, yeah. Uh, my professor, my, um, I guess you'd call him my mentor yep. in college, Bill Kennedy, had a friend. He had been a professor at Canterbury. He was an American. Yep. He married a, a New Zealand lady from down Timaru Way. Yeah. And he had, uh, he did his PhD, I think that's right, at Canterbury. Mm-hmm. And so they were good friends. So he went, he'd gone back to the States and started an electronics consulting company. Yeah. This gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Howard Jelanek. Okay. 
my mentor, my professor here at um, Canterbury said, hey, give this guy a call. You never know, he might be able to employ you. And where was he based? He was based in uh, Orange County, California. So that's okay. about that's about um, an hour south of LA. Yep. So halfway between LA and San Diego. That's a nice part of the, the world. Coast. It is. It is. Even it's a TV about, show, I think, that's been filmed there. That that's right. Well, Disneyland is is right in land from yep. from there. Anyway, yep. so I get so he gave me his phone number and I said okay, introduced myself, and um, he said sure. Yeah, you know, I could yep. possibly do this. Yeah, I sent him a letter, sort of the references what I what I did and whatnot. Mm. Circa, what sort of year is this we're talking? So this is um, autumn, nineteen eighty four. Eighty four, when people sent letters, right? <laughs> Made phone calls. Mm. Doctor Jelanik Howard and his wife Judy, who was a New Zealander, they lived in, in Laguna Beach. Okay, so they put me up for. Well, they were they were going to put me up for the three months that I was there, yep. and working for for Howard and his um, electronics consulting company. So, what sort of stuff were you doing? Howard at the time had a bunch of projects to do with sound. Okay. One of the things he was working on at the time was replacing endless loop tapes at the airport that played this message over and over: "There's no parking in the red zone. Yep. Loading only. Yep." Please move on. No yep. parking in the red zone. This would go on, you know, over, over. and drive you slowly insane. I'm sure right. if you were but security, it was, but it was tape. Yep, and it would wear out. It would break all the time. So they wanted to replace that with chips. Okay. So I got to help on a project where they were making a digital version of this tape, and then alongside that, they needed a um, a device that they could put in a PC. Mm-hmm. So this is, remember, you know, PCs came out in the original IBM PC, like in 82, yep. 83. So PCs had just come out. Yep. There was no Windows. This was all yep. pre-Windows stuff. They, they needed a device they could put in an IBM PC to record these messages, to make turn your voice into a digital form mm-hmm. that they could program into these little de- solid state devices that could be at the airport. Mm. So essentially what they needed was what we call these days a sound card. Okay. What existed at that point in time, which was similar, was there anything out there? Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, there was nothing else. This there. is groundbreaking, really. Right. So because PCs had just come about and people were finding ways of using PCs. Mm-hmm. From word processing yep. to making to art, graphics. Yep. And this was the start of multimedia mm-hmm. or AV on a PC. Yeah. So I, I helped with some other senior engineers, helped them develop um, a sort of a primitive sound card that could actually take audio in mm-hmm. and record it to primitive hard drives they had. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to take that and put it onto a what we'd call a flash chip these days you mm. know a solid state device that could record audio mm-hmm. play it back speaking of the 80s it's a very good time to um uh to play some music from from way back then i guess mm. oh geez that's coming up almost 40 years ago mm-hmm. um and we talked and you've been a fan of michael jackson for have, yeah. for, for a long time what was mm. it about michael and his music that appealed to you so much 
I don't know. I just liked the music appealed to me. The sort of boppy, dancey. I don't know. Just yeah. Yeah, and he was like, massive. Absolutely, it was massive, but it wasn't massive. Absolutely not massive in my peer group in college in mm. university. That mm-hmm. was the interesting thing. It seems like the U.S. has always had a bit of a a pull for you, whether it is the music or the the mm. lifestyle or the. No, the, the technological advancements. Yeah, yes and no. Mm. Um, because don't get me wrong, I love New Zealand and I and I I love the the mountains, the scenery, the the out, the wilderness here. I love the people here. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess yeah, to some degree, a pull. All right, what track from uh, Michael Jackson are we going to hear? Let's hear uh, Billy Jean. Probably is one of his most uh, famous singles, yeah.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Stephen Turner on Plains FM 96.9. So uh, you spent the early 80s or 84 at least, you're in the, mm. you're in the States, you come mm. back, mm. you do your masters in engineering, any particular aspect of Right, so my final project, it was on um, making a speech synthesizer. Okay. So the university at the time had this big old mainframe called a VAX. Mm. Uh, my project was to take a chip from a device called a speak and spell, one of the very first electronic toys yep. that would artificially create speech from typing in words, mm-hmm. text to speech. Yep. So I took that chip and wired it up to the university's mainframe, Main so to speak. Yeah. And made it, you're able to output simple words and it would say them through a speaker. Okay, and what, what year is this, roughly? I want to say 84. Again? Yeah, okay. I mean, this is my senior year yeah. in engineering school. Yeah. Yeah. So what else was happening around the world in that regard at that point? I mean, yeah. you must have been taking inspiration from elsewhere. Uh, was this something yeah. new? So Okay, so the university, one of, one of their lines of research mm-hmm. was speech. Yep. You know, this was an idea, I think, given to me by my professor saying, yep. well, you could do this or yep. do that. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Okay. And I got to build a thing. So I went back and did a master's. And so now I, I decided, you know, I was going to continue on the line of, of speech. Mm-hmm. For my master's degree, I did a project utilizing one of the first, what they call a digital signal processor. Yes, so this is the first digital signal processor that in chip form that was available. And what makes a digital signal processor was its ability to do multiplications really fast. Right. And that allows you to take the digital version of analog waveforms, be they speech or something else, audio mm-hmm. or something else, and manipulate them. And these days, what we do, we do not only volume control by multiplying them, but we do all sorts of other things like EQ and effects and all that kind of stuff that you have in your digital consoles. They Mm. all have digital signal processes in them. So this was one, this was the first digital signal process that came out. Okay. And I got to get one and build a little project around it. And my project was analyzing vocal sounds for help with impaired people with impaired speech so so disabilities mm. and what it did was take the audio digitize it and then try and create a graphical representation of your vocal tract from the audio that you that you're making okay so if you're making a vowel uh okay that has a particular shape in your in your vocal tract yeah with people that are deaf or partially deaf that having difficulty pronouncing sounds, the idea was that a graphical feedback on a computer screen of how they should be physically moving their mouth and, you know, vocal it, tract. In order to, to create, create that image. They, they speak into a mic, they are uh, into yep. a microphone, can see it on, it's got a feedback, biofeedback on the screen. Okay. Thing is like, now you can do it in real time. Yeah because of this digital signal processor that's doing all the calculations and making a, an image on the computer screen. Where would we see that early sort of nascent technology? 
emerging now? Well, audio signal processing is everybody's iPhone. Yep. Smartphone. Mm-hmm. You know, making voice memos or probably a good example is headphones or Air, AirPods that have... Um, noise cancelling. Noise cancelling. Okay. Exactly. That is a digital signal processor that is listening to the outside audio. Yep. And it's also listening to what's coming from your iPhone. Yep. And it's extracting, cancelling out the outside audio so you don't hear it, you know, the so, distraction. So mid-80s, little old New Zealand, but then you find yourself yeah. back I find myself in the back US. in the States because, so I'd been there to this company run by uh, Dr. Jelanik and after I graduated, he offered me a full-time job. He mm-hmm. got me a, a work visa mm-hmm. and ended up working for him for, you know, roughly 10 years. Wow. What was the name of the company? Um, it was called EDA, Electronic Design Associates. EDA, okay. It was in Orange County. Yeah. And it still exists, still mm-hmm. in Orange County, California. So Howard's company, EDA, had a partnership with a, another company that was a manufacturing company. We would design products and they would manufacture them. So they had manufactured this original uh, solid-state version of the endless loop mm-hmm. for the... For the, um, for the airports. Airports. Yep. You know, the sound blaster was coming on. Yeah. We got into making something equivalent of the sound blaster. But the idea was to use it for broadcast radio. Gotcha. The sound blaster was more of a consumer product. Mm -hmm. We wanted to do something that was more pro level. Yep. So, you know, radio, it was moving from vinyl. Mm. DJs were playing their vinyl to popping in CDs yep. to a CD player. And there were still carts at that point in time. Still tape, yep. you know, tape cartridges, eight yep. tracks. Yep. Progress being progress, stations wanted to try and automate a lot of the stuff. Yeah. One of the very first things we helped the company out with was automating those 100-disc CD changer things. Mm-hmm. You could use that to run a radio station. If you can have a computer that tells the CD changer mm-hmm. to change to this disc and play this track, yeah, and then change to this disc and play that track, mm-hmm. well, now all of a sudden you can play songs back to back without a human really sort of being there. Where are the station jingles and the promos and that kind of thing? Where are they in that, in that mix? So there still had to be somebody that okay. would interject those in every now and then. Mm. Yep. But it got people thinking, how can we automate this even more? Mm-hmm. We have a computer. A computer can run through a sequence of things and play, say, do this, do that, play this, play that. Mm-hmm. If we had all the audio, or at least all the songs and jingles recorded on the computer, mm-hmm. and then we can jump out to a live announcer now and then, Yep, we can sort of automate things a lot more. We don't need so many humans touching things and put certain this, certain that. Yeah. And so that was the birth of of radio automation. Mm. Um, So you're producing this directly for uh, the radio stations, the actual gear, or were you mm. producing it for another company who was then... So, yeah, so we were in partnership with this company, Antex, making these professional-level sound cards 
that we sold to um, systems integrators that would go in and put a computer system with their software. Like RCS, for example. Right, that would do the automation. Gotcha. And so there was a handful of companies in the late 80s that were doing this, that were going in and helping radio stations automate. I was friendly with the um, sales manager for this this company, Antex. Mm. And at one point we decided, hey, you know what, we can form a company, do our own thing. Were you bored with what EDA was doing or you just wanted no, o- I just, ownership? No, I think it just wanted some ownership yep. and just wanted to get out there and really sort of be your own boss. Mm-hmm. And um, Did you see any sort of gaps in the market that you thought, oh, I could capitalize on this? Well, that time the, the technology was definitely changing pretty pretty fast so there was always wants from the people you're selling stuff to is you know could we have this mm. or could we have more channels yeah or could we at the time we compressed the audio to store it on disk because the hard drives weren't that large yep uh, we're talking you know megabytes you know 10 20 30 megabytes of hard disk space. Mm. We would compress the audio with uh, MP3 type algorithms mm-hmm. using our digital signal processes, mm. more advanced than what I was using back from my masters, but same concept. Mm. Technology was, was advancing, getting faster chips every year, and so yeah. people were asking for more stuff. So we thought, yeah, no, there's definitely a market for new improved products. Mm. And that's, so that's what we set out to do with audio science. It is time to um, uh, to play some more music as we uh, sort of progress with the uh, technological developments of audio science. And we're sort of still back in the 80s, at least, and another mm. legendary artist, um, Shaka Khan. Mm. Tell me about your uh, tell me about your love for, for Shaka Khan, at least. What is it? What does it? What does it do for you? Well, it takes me back. It takes me back to fraternity sorority parties. Sure. In the, the mid to late 80s. Um, and then to this day, I can remember one particular party where they were playing that. And yeah. Sort of, uh, takes you back. Yeah. This is, I feel for you. Yeah. I feel for you. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. Let me rock it. Let me rock it. Shaka Khan. Let me rock it. That's all I want to do. Shaka Khan. Let me rock it. Let me rock it. Shaka Khan. Let me rock it. Let me feel for you. Shaka Khan. What you tell me? What you want to do? Do you feel for me? The way I feel for you. Shaka Khan. Let me tell you what I want to do. I want to love you. want to hug you. want to squeeze. Let me take it in my arm, let me feel you with my charm, Chaka Cause you know that I'm the one to keep you warm, Chaka I make it more than just a physical dream I wanna rock you, Chaka, baby, cause you make me wanna scream Let me rock it, rock it
it's all up on the
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Stephen Turner on Plains FM 96.9. Rock your winter with Go Live, Christchurch's Winter Music Festival, Friday, July 22nd and Saturday 23rd at the Christchurch Town Hall. Over 18 artists, live across two nights on five stages. Get your tickets now at premier.ticketech.co.nz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Stephen Turner on Plains FM 96.9. Stephen, what is your title at Audio Science? I'm vice president, basically head up the engineering side of the company. And my, my partner, Richard Gross, uh, he's president, heads up the sales and marketing side. Okay. And it's been the two of you ever since, what, 1996? Till recently, we had a third partner, yeah. um, Dr. Andrew Elder, who was also a graduate of Canterbury University. And he was instrumental with heading up our software side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, last year or so, a couple of years, decided to go and pursue other things, which is totally cool. As you do. Um, yeah, as you do. The interview that we are recording today is uh, going through an audio interface uh, called mm-hmm. the EO, mm-hmm. which is one of your products. And I am uh, absolutely delighted to have been able to use it for a um uh, number of interviews over the um, over the last uh, year or so. The EO is very different, though, um, because it's not specifically a sound card for a radio station. Mm-hmm. It's more for, I guess, installed sound. Right. What was the intention uh, with building these various um, IO counts uh, for the EO? Right. So, you know, we we'd gotten into this audio over IP thing, mm-hmm. audio over a network yep. with some previous protocols, one called CobraNet. Mm-hmm. We've done some products with something called AVB. Mm-hmm. And we saw that Dante had become kind of the de facto standard for audio over IP in a number of uh, areas. And so when we designed the EO, we we saw a, a you know market opportunity for you know fairly low cost, um, but yet, a product that could have various IO counts mm. for a bunch of different industries for, yep. you know, anywhere from just a you know, few channels all the way up to 32 yeah. inputs or, yep. and, and outputs on the, in the same box mm. in, a, in a small form factor. You know, so we sort of pivoted a little bit from the usual stuff we do in the broadcast industry to something that was more applicable to the um, installed sound. And this device... Uh, at least is also uh, useful for recording studios because effectively right. it is it is an audio interface. And one of the most right. amazing things that I have uh, discovered since using it is even running with a, a virtual sound card, mm-hmm. um, this is the Dante virtual sound card, is uh, the latency on the device is is tremendously low. Mm-hmm. Um also, the um, the preamps on it are fantastic. You need very low level uh, to get a to get a good sound out of it. What's the what's the feedback been? No pun intended um, on the device since it's been out in the world. Pretty well received. We have uh, sold a number of units um, into, as I say, installed sound. Mm. We've got we actually do have some in in being used in broadcast. Yeah, and we've even done um, a few OEM deals or we've got other manufacturers that are and we've customized the unit for kind of private labeled it for, okay. for their uh product line as well so how did you come up with the name 
we did a little bit of a rebranding exercise mm -hmm. in our company, Audio Science, a few years back and decided we kind of our tagline was the audio IO company. Okay. We do audio input and output, whether it's a sound card in and out of a computer, whether it's um, audio interface boxes, you know, in and out of the network mm. um, in various sizes and shapes, form factors. Mm. And so the EO came from I slash O, mm -hmm. uh, IO, and... Um, but a bit more of a New Zealand Māori kind of R-A-E in there? Possibly. Yeah? Possibly. Because, I mean, you've got the uh, you got the uh, the fern, or at least a little bit of a koru yeah, going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the Māori influence on, on, on me, being a yep. New Zealander. Yeah. And uh, we also have another product line that is um, called Hono. Yeah. Uh, which is um, meant to connect mm -hmm. in Māori. Yeah. And... Um, so this was an, an earlier rendition of audio over IP mm. using a the CobraNet protocol yep. that I'd mentioned. Yeah. And allows you to connect the analog world with the audio over IP world. Okay. Yeah. It's almost like the old traditions with the the new at least. Mm. What is the benefit of um, uh, audio over IP as opposed to just a standard sort of meters, miles of analog cable? Right. Sending audio as electrons through a cable you can squeeze a lot more channels of uh, audio on one small little cable that's, you know, five millimeters in diameter versus, you know, you, you can literally put hundreds of very high quality, low noise channels of audio. Mm. Whereas to do that in an anal the analog realm would take, you know, a copper multi-pair copper cable that it would be you know, massive massive you know many many centimeters in diameter so this really is similar to a um uh an ultra fast broadband compared to a dsl or or a dial-up yeah in some degree yeah 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 um putting things into the digital realm and being able to put them through a network in your studio or through your facility mm. gives you a lot of flexibility to switch channels in and out of equipment with the push of a button rather yep. than having to crawl behind a console and yep. unplug and replug and I don't know you, what you know, you're you know, talking about. Right. You know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Here. No matter how many pieces of equipment you go in and out of, once it's in digital form, it's gonna stay in digital form and it's not gonna gather noise as it goes in and out of stuff. Yeah. It stays pretty pristine. Well, I've got to say it's an absolutely um, uh, fantastic device. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, it is time for some music moving into um, uh, the century, mm. uh, at least. And I hear you're a bit of a fan of The weekend. Yeah, yeah, I have. I've come to appreciate some of the the uh, latest and greatest, the, the more modern music in the last few years. Is there a particular track from said gentleman? Uh, that you'd like to hear? Yeah, there's, there's one of his tracks, um, I Feel It Coming, mm. uh, done with uh, Daft Punk. Fantastic. All right. I Feel It Coming. This is The weekend with Daft Punk.
what you really like Baby, I can take my time We don't ever have to fight Just take it step by step I can see it in your eyes Cause they never tell me lies I can feel that body shake And the heat between your legs You've been scared of love And what it did to you You don't have to run I know what you can do Just a simple touch And it can set you free We don't have to rush When you're alone with me Is the Gardener Sound interview with Stephen Turner on Plains FM 
So I guess a big question is, uh, what's coming up for audio science? We got any new new devices? Anything that you can let slip? I, I guess we're continuing to work on on audio over IP type products. Mm-hmm. Dante, you know, Dante uh, Protocol mm-hmm. is definitely the uh, main industry standard right now, and we we see that continuing forward. So. Mm. We're looking at some, creating some products that are maybe more modular, uh, more flexible, allowing um, the user to order various pieces that can all kind of plug together mm. uh, without having to you know, be locked into, well, I ordered the eight channel, but you know, a month from now I need 16. And it almost sounds like analog desks of yesteryear. Plug in channel strips. Yep. At your will. Yeah. Stephen, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on Garden of Sound and talking about audio science mm. and some of the amazing products you produce. We do have time for one more track, um, and we're going to go back to the 80s, and uh, I can feel a little bit of sort of Kevin Bacon slash Kenny Loggins mm. coming on. What track mm. are we going to hear? We're going to hear, um, I guess it's the title track from Footloose, the movie mm. Footloose yeah, by... Uh, Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Yeah. Why is this such a special track for you? Oh, I don't know. I think, again, another one of these 80s movies that uh, was boppy, it was wild, it was, uh, yeah, it was cool. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks, Ian. It's been a pleasure talking to you, chatting out here. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Footloose, Kenny Loggins.
Sci-Fi Track of the Week. Released only today is the debut single from Christchurch band Red Weekend. They received the People's Choice Award at Rockquest Regionals last year and have been a staple on the loop band night circuit for many years. This, from Red Weekend, is The Outlaw. Thanks for joining me today on Garden of Sound and thanks to Stephen for coming in to talk about audio science and one of their awesome interfaces, the EO. You can find out more about audio science by heading to gardenofsound.nz and clicking on Stephen's picture on the front page. I'm Ian Turner and this has been Garden of Sound, brought to you by Go Live Festival, 22nd and 23rd of July, Christchurch Town Hall. Until next time, keep well, keep listening and keep playing. Er no horror.